Hey guys, the episode that you're about to listen to is amazing. He teaches me some stuff I've never heard about. Her name is Rachel Heath. She is a poet, an artist, a teacher, a yoga and meditation instructor. She's also a podcaster and she is a vast traveler. She is a brown girl from South Carolina who now lives in Costa Rica. And she is absolutely amazing. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Languages, a Master of Fine Arts in Poetry. But what she's bringing to the table now is kind of like a cosmic blending of all of these things. And she currently holds certifications in Kripula Yoga, Yoga Nidra, and Mind Body Meditation. And so she is currently the Curriculum Director and Sanctuary Coach for the Unicorn Authors Club. So she's got a lot that she's done. Um, Her path is, um, as she describes it, is a winding road. Uh, And so I know that you will enjoy um, listening to the journeys and travel of um, Rachelle, but also stay tuned towards the end to listen to the benefits of yoga and meditation. If you've ever felt like it was not for you, stay tuned. She'll bring it into focus for you. Hope you enjoy it. Hello again, and thank you, thank you, thank you for, look, hitting play on Office Visits with Dr. B. Welcome back to another episode. You know that I'm all about empowering and educating you on how to live an abundant, healthy, and happy life. And uh, the guest today, you know, she got receipts, y'all. Wait till you hear her story. I like. I didn't even want her to tell it, uh, <laughs> but I wanted to hear it in real time. But we have Rachelle Heath, who is, she's a former educator from South Carolina, Now she lives in Cabo. She's teaching teaching yoga and meditation, and she has a podcast about Black women practitioners uh, that are healing people. Um, Let's just welcome Rachelle Heath. Hi, everybody. Um, And I'm I'm in Costa Rica, not Cabo. But why do I? I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, Many people envision me on a beach with a cocktail. That's not quite my life, but. (laughs) <laughs> but one day <laughs> you let me keep talking yes ma'am it is Costa Rica it's not Cabo I was on the WhatsApp and somebody's talking about Cabo so they both together please y'all it's all good she went from South Carolina to Costa Rica so <laughs> right and and it was a very uh kind of meandering path so <laughs> I like to say I went from South Carolina to the Marshall Islands to Mexico and then around the world a little bit and and then ended up in Costa Rica <laughs> yeah so guys if, if I know some of you are listening to this podcast but it's also on YouTube and I, I need y'all to look at Rachelle her smile is so bright <laughs> no it should when people are happy they just on purpose they just have this glow about them and you absolutely do and we we just finished recording an episode of her podcast and she said you know when you're working in your purpose it it helps you too she said it better than that um but it does what helps you too and so um so when i want to talk with you and what i want you to share with the listeners and myself today is a how did you get to where you are now? What is your purpose and how does, what does that look like in the world today? And then I know you're into yoga. Um, so we're going to finish up with, you know, what are the benefits of yoga and meditation and what like physiologically does that do for, for our body and our mind? So, all right. So the floor is yours. So like, just tell us, Tell us your beginnings, South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina. And I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. So I'm going to shout out all my people in Winsboro, South Carolina. It's a small mill town. I was born in Chester, South Carolina. My grandpa is a farmer and used to work also as a factory worker. So 
salt of the earth people, um, my people, amazing people. Um, and both of my parents are educators. So I think I was kind of set up <laughs> to be an educator as well. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, pressure or anything, but that was something that I enjoyed doing from a young age. You know, I set up my little classroom with my stuffed animals <laughs> and was teaching them how to do things. And I, I was also always a very creative person. So I started writing and, and making, you know, refrigerator art <laughs> very early on. And my parents were incredibly encouraging. So, you know, it yeah. felt like yeah. it was a supportive environment for me to really explore who I wanted to be. And the other part of who I wanted to be was a traveler. Um, so they kind of all meshed together eventually. Um, back in 2007, I had just finished up my Master of Fine Arts degree. Um, and I decided that I wanted to leave the United. I wanted to live outside of my country and see what that looked like. And so I moved to a small <laughs> atoll in the Pacific Island called Medjiro. Shout out to all of my Marshallese folks. Um, and I taught at a private school there for two years. Um, and that was an amazing experience being incredibly remote. Um, but it was such a diverse population of folks there. We had people from Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, China, Japan, South Korea, um, different parts of the United States and different parts of the Pacific. So Islanders from Katrai and Ponape and Chuk and um, from Guam and from the Marianas and Tuvalu and other places. Um, so I don't, I don't know half of those places that you like, honestly, I think I knew one and that was Costa Rica. When we started like, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> like whoa. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So amazing. it was an amazing experience to have as my first time leaving the country because I was just kind of thrown into this amazing melting pot of cultures. And I was also really close to Southeast Asia. So I did my first backpacking trip. Um, when I moved to the Marshalls, I, I backpacked around uh, Southeast Asia with a, a colleague uh, and I got to see Thailand for the first time. And I got to see Singapore and Malaysia and it was incredible. And I got to feel the freedom of being in the world without fear which was something wow. that was really just it, it planted a seed within me to to want to one be able to continue to live that way and i didn't feel that way in the united states as a black woman in the south um not saying that i didn't have incredibly amazing communities around me because i absolutely did but i was still a black woman in the south there were still places that i could not go safely um, in my own state. Um, and, and that, that hit me, you know, when I was out in the world and I wasn't a black woman so much as I was just somebody that didn't look like everybody else. Right. Right. Um, right. And so that started really like a lifestyle journey for me that I've been living outside of the United States since then. Um, when I left the Marshall Islands, I moved to Isla Mujeres um, and I worked at a private English school there. Um, oh, hold up one second. I know a little Spanish. Isla Mujeres is that island of women? It is. No. It is. is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And lived and worked there made some incredible connections to people there i still go back at least once a year to see my people there i call them my family because they feel like family um and then i went back to the marshalls i went back and forth between mexico and the marshall islands for a while which i watch was interesting um and then i i made a pivot at the end of my last contract in 2019 i stopped teaching uh, in the classroom, at least. Um, and I started writing full time. And I decided I wanted to write and travel full time. So I went to stay with a friend uh, who lived in Toledo, Spain. Shout out to Martina and Zach. Um, and uh, got to travel around Spain. I got to do some traveling in uh, uh, the UK and also in Germany. Um, and then I went back to uh, Malaysia, which is one of my favorite places in the world. 
And then I got a chance to go to Australia, which was amazing. And then I went to Mexico, which was amazing, going back and hanging out there. And then I went to the States to see my family. And then I came to Costa Rica in March of 2020, which is probably a date that most of us remember. (laughs) Let me see. What happened? I came to stay here for a month. And I was planning on going to Bali because I was turning 40 in 2020 and I was going to spend my 40th birthday in Bali. I was so excited. I was going to be meeting a friend of mine. We were going to hang out in Indonesia. I was going to do a retreat for my 40th in Bali. Then we were going to Laos and then I was going to go back to Malaysia and it was all going to be amazing. And then pandemic happened. (laughs) So... I'm here in Costa Rica. I've been in Costa Rica now for since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I've made an amazing connection with folks here. And Costa Rica was very welcoming in the pandemic. They basically extended tourist visas for the year so that folks who did not want to, you know, try to yeah. go somewhere during this thing that none of us understood didn't have to. Um, and it was a really formative time. I started my podcast during that year. I lost my writing job during that year and had to pivot again. Um, and I also started teaching writing workshops, which was something that I really enjoyed doing. And I started teaching yoga, uh, not yoga, uh, meditation workshops, which is something that I really enjoyed doing. And now that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, you know, I tell people who are asking, you know, how did you make this pivot? And and a lot of what I did was just doing things that I was already going to do anyway for no money mm-hmm. until I could do them for money. <laughs> um, and it oh. works out. Okay. So <laughs> that was a lot. Listeners. That, that's a lot. It's no surprise that you were born to a family of educators. Like, when it comes to purpose, you're not just caught on the earth. Like, there's a strategic reason that you were put where you were put. That's true for everybody, I believe. But, okay, so I'm a brown girl. I'm a little bit older than you are, but I didn't get any of those messages that I could go to any of those places that you just named. It was you graduate high school and then you go to college. Okay, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, go to medical school, come out and get a job. So this sounds exciting and it sounds fun. Like, where did you get the method that this is how you could live your life and you didn't have to kind of follow the brick road that everybody else was on? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My my dad would always quote this um Emily Dickinson poem that he would say to us, the soul selects its own society. He would say that to us all the time. <laughs> and so while my parents wanted us to get an education and they wanted us to, you know, kind of be good citizens, uh, we got to define that container. And that was really empowering. And And I'd always been, um, I'd always loved language. You know, I'm a writer, but I also studied languages for my bachelor's degree. And I was kind of in that track to become a translator. I left the country for the first time when I was 15. I went to a Spanish trip (laughs) uh, to Cancun, Mexico um, to study Spanish and went back several times before I graduated um, high school. Um, And when I was in college, the Doing my bachelor's, I did an exchange program to San Germán, Puerto Rico, also as a part of my language study. And so that, to me, like being able to have those opportunities at such a young age kind of showed me that there was a world outside of my little town, my little state. Um, And so I think that that was a big part of it, just being able to, you know, feel like whatever I wanted to do, I, within reason, <laughs> I had support. Um, yeah. but I was also one of those kids that grew up with Carmen San Diego. Like I watched that <laughs> on a PBS <laughs> places. I want to go there, you know? So there were, there were a lot of like influences I think. And I will also say that where I went to school had a, a big 
kind of influence on me wanting to get to know other cultures and parts of the world because I went to a school that was in Columbia, South Carolina. It's near Fort Jackson. We had a lot of folks coming in from different parts of the world. So I had friends who were coming in from Vietnam. I had friends from the Dominican Republic. I had friends who were from Mexico. I had, you know, friends that had very diverse cultural backgrounds. And I was like, all right, I'm in, you know? (laughs) And I just, you know, ran with it. And no one put a wall in front of me. Um, So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you said at 15, you were out of the country. I remember at 14, I went to New Orleans. (laughs) Walking on Berber Street, thinking I'm doing something. I snuck out. But um, anyway, I just... Well, and you were. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I was in a better place. All of those experiences expand our world. So you don't have to leave the country for that to happen. For that. Thank you for that. I do think there's something empowering about learning about other cultures. Um, and I, I want to get to that in just a second, but fine art. So another, another thing that I like to harp on is that all of us have gifts. Uh, and so it sounds like you have a gift for languages and writing and you're an artist. So how did your gifts kind of deliver this life that you're living now or lead you or help you along the way? I think it's it's a part of creating purpose, you know, like I'm I'm one of those people that I've always had something that I could put my hands on that felt like it was mine. So whether it was my writing or whether it was my, you know, even even the things that I read or the languages that I was studying or the visual art that I was creating eventually my yoga practice my meditation practice like those were all like touchstones that could bring me back to me and so if there was one that I didn't really feel like I was like connecting with there was always something else that I felt like I could connect with that could bring me back to myself Um, and I think that when we have that ability to return to self we have the ability to be present for other people and we need those touchstones that can help us to do that problem is a lot of us don't have the kind of environment or even the kind of time to be able to define those touchstones. I was blessed enough to have the kind of environment that allowed me to explore, you know, different parts of my identity and really be able to kind of latch on to things that made sense for me. Um, And those things are still very present in my life to this day as those like touchstones. So... You know, when you first left the country and you're at the islands, you you're an educator. So it's what high school, right? Uh, middle school, high school, and middle school. Ultimately, high school. they kind of put you with a little baby. Um, <laughs> uh, is that I, is that where you were? Go ahead. I, I was with fifth grade when I first came in, which was not where it was supposed to be. <laughs> but I ended up um, middle school, high school, and then eventually, when I went back, I was working at their community college, which was where I. I want it to be. <laughs> want it to be. Right. Yeah. So how did you like in all of that say, okay, I'm fine art. I'm going to be a teacher. Like, were you called to that? Or was it something that you could get a job in and maybe have a lifestyle that, you know, would accommodate all your travel? Well, I have to go back because my, my first degree is a Bachelor of Arts and Languages. And, and I had the intention of being a, a translator. Uh, and my first job was with Rock Hill School District. I was working as an ESOL assistant, and that was a lot of translation. But I was also in the classroom working with students who were non-English speakers. Um, and I ended up getting a TESOL certification, and that was something that was really passionate. It's something I was very passionate about as someone who is a, a studier of languages also providing a space of language justice for people who are learning English when they came to yeah. this country, which was not <laughs> um, the impulse for a lot of people who were teaching non-native speakers. Um, and Can I ask a so question? I, sure. What is language justice? So language justice is the empowerment of people of who speak 
languages that are not English to be able to have access to resources, to be able to have access to, um, how do I put it? So I'll give you an example. As an educator, I was teaching English as a second language. We don't call it that anymore. And that's a part of language justice. It's teaching English to non-native speakers because we don't know if English is your second language. It might be your third. It might be your fourth. It might be your fifth. So it's taking assumptions like that out of the conversation. Mm. Going into a language classroom, it's providing students with text in their language so that they're able to actually receive knowledge in a language that they understand. It's providing translations in meetings. It's also providing them with the ability to communicate in their own language so that they're able to communicate fully. Um, And so language justice is kind of this all-encompassing thing that says, we're not going to prioritize English. We're going to prioritize communication. And everybody has a different way to communicate. We're going to honor that in the best way that we can. Um, So, yeah. So your razor is South Carolina, you're teaching there, you're in the languages. So like, I mean, how? Like, like what inside you says, I've got to do something different and go live abroad? Well, what inside me first said I needed to do something different was as much as I loved working with my students, I was not happy teaching English Mm -hmm. to non-native speakers in that context. I really wanted to teach English literature, creative writing. And so I went back to get my Master of Fine Arts degree so that I could do that. Um, And so when I ended up working at this private school teaching fifth grade, I wasn't happy because I was teaching English, science, social studies, and math. Um, because fifth grade is is primary. Um, But when I did finally end up working in my field, I was able to teach ELA, which is the English language arts. So it's composition, it's literature, and some creative writing. Um, And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to take the thing that I loved doing because I was always working in spaces with other writers. I was, you know, going to poetry readings. I was working with small presses. I was doing performance art. I was doing all sorts of stuff. And I was like, I love this. And I'm going to a job that doesn't feed this. So how can I get more of this thing that I love? Um, And, you know, as much as I didn't want to be teaching English to non-native speakers in, in a public school in South Carolina, leaving the country, I was teaching English to non-native speakers everywhere I went because, you know, their first language was not English, most most of my students, some of them, but most of them it was not. Um, but I was able to bring my experience as a, a teacher, a certified teacher for um, TESOL to these spaces and also my love for creative writing, literature, and the arts. So just being able to bring all of those together. And I will say I had more of a playing field when I left the U.S. um, because I was working in private school settings. I was able to build my own curriculum. I was, you know, we had benchmarks that we had to meet, but we didn't have the same kind of rigidity as a public school setting has. Um, And so that was really empowering for me to, as a teacher, to be able to come in and really build the kind of curriculum that I wanted to for my students. And we did some things that that I probably wouldn't have been able to get away with. (laughs) (laughs) But those babies, they probably learned. (laughs) Well, and, and one of the things we did was this very impactful social justice unit where we talked about the disability rights movement and the civil rights movement and the language justice movement. (laughs) And it was like, I have these Marshallese students, many of whom were going to the United States. The Marshall Islands has an agreement of pre-association with the U.S. where their citizens can come and live and work in the United States without having to apply for a visa. And so a lot of my students were going to the United States at some point. And I felt like it was important for them 
before they left their little bubble of their island to understand how this country treats people of color and how this country treats people with disabilities and how this country treats queer people. And, you know, who who better than their teachers to to communicate those things to them and have open conversation with them about it? Um, So, yeah. That was a, it was, it was a good time. I love those kids. They, I, I'm still in touch with some of them. You know, they were Aww. fantastic uh, for my first year teaching in the Marshall Islands. And they always have like a special place in my heart. I think they know that. So, Aww. we, we love, I love teachers. I love teachers. A lot of my patients are teachers. And I'm just like, you've got to love what you do when you are underpaid and undervalued and do it anyway. Um yeah. So, and and I send my kids to school. I think we realized that during the pandemic. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, yeah. what an awesome job that our teachers do, um, and that our kids spend sometimes more time there during the week than they do with us. So, hats off to you for um, for just even walking in in those streets for as long as you did. Um, but. It seems like you have a way of kind of like infusing who you are, like into what you're doing, like unapologetically, like this is what it's going to be. Um, did you have to grow into that or like would your parents say she was just that spunking kind of kid? Like, you know, it's they just were, who she is. They would probably say the latter. <laughs> um <laughs> I think I have a bit of a reputation in my family as being the one that says how she feels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I probably did have to grow into it. I mean, we all kind of grow into ourselves, but I do feel like I, I don't want to ever work in a space where I feel like I can't speak my piece, and it, and and that's knowing that when I do speak my piece it's because it's important and it's valuable like i'm not a i'm not a talker believe it or not like i'm not one of those people that's like small talk chatty that no so once i do open my mouth it's because i have something really important to say in my opinion (laughs) if i can't say it then i probably don't need to be working where i'm working um Yeah. yeah so yeah yeah I, I honor that so much because when I was burned down working as a physician, it was I felt like I couldn't speak. Like I, yeah. I didn't, I just didn't. And it's like, but you're Dr. V and you're the reason that, you know, you have business. I mean, you know, we don't see the patients. You know, the business doesn't run. Um, but I still didn't feel like I had a voice to express myself. And now that I'm on the other side, I wouldn't, I wouldn't live like that anymore and ask for what I need. Um, but I always admire people who seem to kind of come here with that. Um, and, and you have just kind of spread it all around the world. So that's, that's even more amazing. So how, how did you get to yoga and meditation? I mean, because, so, I mean, first of all, let me just say Brown girl in South Carolina, like, your story so far is like very non-traditional. Like the things you're talking about are things that I'm just now discovering, like literally in the last few years. So mm-hmm. tell me how this happened. Yeah. So funnily enough, that that's the Marshall Islands as well. But um, I, I took my first yoga class uh, at Winthrop University when I was doing my bachelor's degree. Um, and I absolutely hated it. Um, but I needed a <laughs> physical education credit. And so I got through it. Um, and I did not come back to yoga until I came to the Marshall Islands. Now, I, I, I feel like this is kind of Im- implied in the air, but the Marshalls are small atoll chains. They are in the middle of the Pacific, meaning they are not near a lot of things. They are remote. And so when you're there, you are, you are there. You're not going anywhere else. Um, and if you are going somewhere, I, I would tell folks like when I would come back to the U.S. to visit my family and I would only come once a year, it took me two days to get there by plane. So <laughs> it's far. <laughs> um, wow. So what that also means is that you have this kind of playing field that if you have a skill 
<laughs> they're like, absolutely, you can do that thing. So that 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 whole lead in is when I got to the school that I was teaching at, which was Madro Cooperative School. Um, there was a yoga teacher there, black woman from New York, amazing woman named Robin. I don't remember her last name, but her first name was Robin. Um, and I started going to her yoga class. Well, she was on her last year for a contract and she was like, I want you to take over my class when I leave. And I was like, say what now? Um, <laughs> so we worked at the same school. I would get up early in the morning, like 5 a.m., go to her apartment. We all had housing on the campus. Do my yoga study with her. Bought the books that I was supposed to read. Go to her apartment. Talk about alignment. Talk about, you know, the yamas, yamas, eightfold path, the whole nine. And then I would go back to my apartment, take a shower, get my school bag, go teach my kids, <laughs> and then come back home. Whenever there was a yoga class, I went and when she left at the end of the year, I took over her class. Um, and how it was an amazing growing learning experience for me. Um, I did eventually get my 200 hour certification at Kripalu, which was amazing. Um, she was Kripalu and Bikram certified. And I, I chose to go the route of Kripalu because it's the yoga of compassion. And that was something that I really leaned into. Um, and then eventually got my certifications for Yoga Nidra, which is the yoga of sleep, and for mind body meditation, which is a meditation practice, but it also is kind of in the vein of restorative yoga. And I have been teaching yoga since since 2008, <laughs> when, when she left the island. Um, and it has been a wonderful process of learning and growing for me to get in touch with myself as a, as a more spiritual person. But also what I will say is when I was kind of moving in this space of yoga, yoga is often posited as you're going to be incredibly flexible, you're going to be incredibly skinny, and you're going to be incredibly lithe. And, and, and that that's a dog whistle for tall white woman. Um, and I am not. Um, I have very tight shoulders, very tight hips. I still can't do a split or a headstand. And I would tell my students this. I was like, look, that's not yoga. That's acrobatics. <laughs> and bendy girls out there, kudos to you. That is amazing that your body does those things. But your body does not have to do those things to practice yoga. And one of my favorite yoga classes that I taught was a chair yoga class that I taught for my older colleagues at the College of the Marshall Islands. At the end of the school day, we took over one of the classrooms, we moved the desks out of the way, and I taught these folks with arthritis and really like pain, scoliosis, you name it. These folks that have been told that they couldn't do yoga, we did yoga with chairs and it was beautiful. Um, and so a lot of my yoga mentors now are folks that are people who promote yoga for accessibility. One of the the books that really changed my life was uh, Peggy Cappy's Yoga for Everybody, and it's yoga for every everybody body body. Um, and it was just really empowering to me to see that I didn't have to be one of those bendy girls to teach yoga. That I could teach people and that they could get what they needed out of my class without anyone having to ever feel like they were inadequate, without anyone having to feel like their practice wasn't enough. Um, so that that was, that that's kind of my, my journey wow. <laughs> as a yoga teacher. <laughs> wow. I love that. I love that accepting every body, B-O-D-Y, because like in Pilates, like, you know, you, you you're, it's all about core and you're supposed to put your feet out to 45 degrees, but if you got a booty, then your back arches, then your back is supposed to arch. And so like, there are some things about people's bodies that are going to make the practice look different, mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't mean they're, they're not a candidate for it because their body is different. So I, I love that message. Um, so you've talked about, you know, the older people doing yoga with chairs and um, about your journey with yoga, like what is it 
So part of my show is also my podcast is to, you know, encourage people to try new things. You know, maybe you don't like running. Maybe you don't like, you know, swimming, whatever. But introducing people to new forms of activity that really might align with who they are. So what is it about yoga? What are some of the benefits that you've seen personally or that you've seen in your students? Yeah, so one of the big benefits, and this is a part of yoga that kind of gets taken out of the practice, unfortunately, it's it's pranayama, which is breath work. So learning how to tap into your breath, learning how to control the breath. We don't breathe, we die. <laughs> so being able to have that ability to regulate your breath also allows you to regulate your system. You can calm your heartbeat. If you can regulate your breath, you can oxygenate your body if you can regulate your breath. So I think pranayama practice is one of the most powerful yoga practices we have at our disposal. And unfortunately, we don't see it enough, I think, in yoga classes. Everyone kind of defaults to, to asana, um, which has its value as well. So asana practice is like the physical posture practice. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So there's pra pranayama. Pranayama is breath work. Pranayama is breath work. And then asana. Which is the postures. Yeah. Um, and asana practice is really beautiful for a lot of reasons. Stretching is good for your body. <laughs> when your muscles are able to relax, you are able to have more stability in your body. And so... When you're doing asana practice, you're working on lengthening those muscles. That's taking pressure off of your joints. You're also doing balance practice, which is, again, important for stability. When we, we see people um, moving into older age, one of the things that we hear about all the time is falls, right? Yeah. Yoga practices stability. So if you're, you have a regular yoga practice, you're building up that stability so that you're less susceptible to falls or if you fall you learn how to fall in a way that has it it's less impactful on the body um so i would say those are the two big things depending on what your practice is like you can build strength in a yoga class um depending on what your practice is like you may be really building you know bendy flexibility um and those things have benefits as well. But I, I would say the most accessible parts of the physical are those two things, lengthening the muscles and helping you work on your balance for stability purposes. Okay. And so the pranayama I hear when you're saying breath work, um, it just takes me back to, I was at medical school and that was a stressful time. Uh, but that's when I first got introduced with um, yoga. And I do remember feeling more relaxed coming out. And that Shavasana at the end, oh my gosh, that is everything. That's basically when you go to sleep, y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to go to sleep, but I always end up going to sleep because you're just you so you're just so relaxed. Relaxed. So, you know, is there I would feel like people who do yoga and this is Dr. V's Maybe I'm set in my mindset, but I always feel like people are more calm just in general throughout their life outside of the yoga classroom as well. Is there something that evolves or happens the longer that you practice yoga that just makes you move differently through life or something that you appreciate from your yoga practice that you take with you everywhere? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that focus that you're seeing is tapping into the other parts of the path of yoga, right? So mm -hmm. that yoga is an eightfold path. Pranayama is a part of it. That's your breath work. Asana is a part of it. That's your um, physical work. But there are other parts of the path as well. Um, so we talk about focus. We talk about the do's and don'ts of, of life. We talk about... Um, Let's see here. Uh, doing no harm. <laughs> um, and then eventually we want to get to a space of enlightenment, understanding that it's it's a path that's not linear, that is is in a lot of ways you're going to be moving between the different parts of the path, like as you move through life. And so 
if you're in a yoga class where you're doing a, let's say you're doing tree pose, a lot of people know that posture, right? You're putting your foot against, you know, a part of a standing leg and you're kind of holding your balance, right? So Mm -hmm. that is the physical part of it. But if you are really working into your yoga practice, you're also working with the mind part of it. How do I calm my mind and become present in my body, be centered in my body so that I can be present with what's happening within me? How do I tap into pranayama, the breath, as I am in this posture? And then how do I connect to how this posture is activating connections in my environment? What is it bringing up for me? So you could stand with your, your on one leg with your foot on, you know, your leg and, and you're doing something. But yeah, when you're really getting into the practice of yoga, the posture is a, a vehicle towards that kind of release of the mind and tapping into the higher self. Mm. And so if you're seeing people who practice yoga and or meditation being a little more calm a little more grounded it's because they've tapped into that part of the practice they've moved past the physical aspects of it and there is a centering that happens when they're moving through their practice it's not just moving the body it's going in Mm. okay so that's exactly as you describe it i'm thinking that's what i'm seeing Mm -hmm. and you know as a lifestyle medicine physician I'm like, this sounds like a wonderful way to manage your stress, a wonderful way to to treat your anxiety, um, attention deficit, allowing you to kind of just try to focus and kind of block everything out, out and calm you. Um, I will say I ain't never heard of no pranayama. Um, I have heard of breath work, uh, but you're saying things about yoga that I've never heard. Like I, I've never heard of an eight eight pathway mm-hmm. so you you sound like and and here on office visits with dr v we always strive to bring reliable um educated passionate purposeful people um who are experts in their craft um to the world that's my my goal you're in costa rica mm-hmm. you can't come to costa rica and practice with Rachel, how do we find someone who is as adept or who who knows what you know and will approach yoga from that type of inner work healing perspective that I'm hearing you talk about? Uh, like, is there a certification? Like, oh yeah. Well, well I mean, where do we find that? That's the first thing. Um, I would say that you want to be working with the teacher that has at least a 200 hour certification. But yoga has exploded right now. So there's lots of places that offer 200-hour certifications. So I would say a certification is something that's really helpful, 200 being the minimum. Um, I'm working on my 500 right now because I want to be able to train people. Um, But the other thing that I would say is there are some... When you walk into a yoga class, the environment should be welcoming. That's number one. Number two, when you walk into a yoga class, the first thing that you do should be centering. You should be taking a t- time with pranayama, with coming into the room, with maybe even setting an intention for the class. So those are two things to look for. I think to really know if a yoga teacher is right for you, you have to go to their class, right? Look for people who are certified. That's wonderful. But everybody is looking for something different from their yoga class. So it's kind of a trial and error. But when you go in, welcoming environment, start with centering, and then some things that you want to look for to make <laughs> sure that your yoga teacher teacher is is approaching this in a way that's going to be safe, they should not be making adjustments on your body without your consent. Um, they should not only give one way to come into a posture. And so if they're using language like, this is the correct way to do it, or 
you need to push an order to get it right or language like that that's a red flag for me um if there are not modifications offered or if it's not an open space where if you're if you don't have access to a posture that day you're able to do something else if a teacher is insistent that you do a posture those are red flags for for me not i mean that person may be someone that has like a thousand hours of yoga teaching certification but they're not working with you they're working with a prescriptive concept of what right. a student is supposed to be able to do and you're not going to be able to grow in that kind of practice um mm. so th- mm. that's yeah that's where i'll leave that oh, those are good <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are good and 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 you said it well when you're forced to kind of like when i'm forced to put my legs out to 45 degrees and my booty is making my back arch it doesn't make me feel good and i know that it doesn't so what i'm feeling in my body doesn't align up with what they told me and so i think you can always feel that disconnect and like you said you don't feel you don't feel comfortable um we're going to close out the episode in a few minutes i don't want to leave off meditation meditation is something that i found that um really really helps me that's that's how we start our mornings and my morning program real quick why should we do meditation um, and how can you get started doing meditation? So meditation is a wonderful way to find calm, centering, grounding. I think the first thing to do in order to start meditation is to get it out of your head that you're going to sit down and your mind is going to be quiet. It's not. What's going to happen is you're going to sit down and every single thought that you have is going to be like, hey, girl, what's up? How you doing? (laughs) But the practice of meditation, and it is a practice, is to sit, find a way to let those thoughts recede in the background and come back to your purpose, which is either breathing or centering or grounding. Here's the other thing. You don't have to do it for an hour. You can do it for two minutes and you will feel a difference. A lot of people don't do meditation because they think they have to sit and chant something in Sanskrit until the back hurts. That is a lie. You can stop and take three breaths. Just three. And if you do it with intention and presence, you have meditated. So it's not a competition. It's not a race. It is a practice. And every day you sit down to your practice, you sit with yourself for however long you need to. And then you get up and you move about your day and you will feel the difference. That is what I will say about meditation. Wow. That is a great place to start taking three breaths with intention and presence. (sighs) You're very, I, I, I don't haven't taken your class, but I know that you're very good at this. Uh, and what I feel is that you meet people where they are. You meet people where they are, which welcomes them in. Because like you said, we all have this idea of what yoga is or what meditating is that keeps us out. Um, mm-hmm. And I still have some of the thoughts that you just did. <laughs> and I'm still trying to practice. So I just thank you so much for enlightening us with with your knowledge, with your life experience, uh, and showing us how we can show up in spaces that sometimes um, we might not feel, we might feel like imposter, well, I'm not say imposter syndrome, but we might just not feel like we belong. Um, and I wanna kind of dispel those, those myths because these are things that actually can help us heal and help us feel better and help us kind of you know, lose some of those crutches that hurt us. Okay. So maybe you don't have to reach for a week or pop the prescription pill. You can start meditating and do yoga. Um, it is available to you. So how can we like get to you? Like, uh, how do people follow you? Keep up with you? Tell us about, you know, your podcast, your website, et cetera. 
Yeah. So uh, my podcast is Black Women in Wellness. And you won't hear about me, but you'll hear about amazing Black women who are wellness practitioners in the world. Um, And we are hosted by Spotify Podcast. So if you look up Black Women in Wellness and Spotify, you will find us. We have two years worth of episodes. It's crazy to me that it's been around that long. So you can find uh, that there. Black Women in Wellness also has a website, which is blackwomeninwellness.com. It's a work in progress, but there are some really cool articles there um, from wellness practitioners that have been on the show. And I think I have a few things that I've written there, too. Um, My website is therachelheath.com, and I do post my um, meditation workshops there. Um, I have a subscription service for folks who are interested in meditating regularly. Um, You get access to two um, online Zoom meditation workshops um, a month. Um, and it, we are actually meeting this evening, uh, my meditation <laughs> students. Um, and then occasionally I do teach writing workshops and I post those on my Instagram, but my Instagram is, is private. So I'm working on getting a public facing one so that folks can, um, check those things out. Um, but Black Women in Wellness does have an Instagram. So you can follow there and you'll at least get information about the podcast. Um, so I think that's it for 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 online access. <laughs> Do me a favor and spell out your website because it's Rachel Heath. Right. So it's T-H-E-R-A-Y-C-H-E-L-L-E-H-E-A-T-H dot com. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Hook up with her. She knows what she's talking about. And if y'all go on YouTube, you will see the glow that I'm referring to. So you're obviously doing something right and living your best life. So thank you for coming on and sharing a bit of, of how you got here. Uh, and I do appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best in Costa Rica, not Cabo. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So we'll see you next time on Office Visits with Dr. B. <laughs> Thank you.